0: Welcome to the Ignite Podcast, where we introduce thought leaders and subject matter experts that you'll want to consider for your next corporate event. Now, here's your host, Dennis Warden. I want to welcome our Ignite uh, viewers to the Ignite Podcast. And uh, I always look forward to these every month, and especially this one, because it's a great friend that's been a part of the Ignite Advisory Group uh, since we uh, started the, the company. But uh, more importantly than that, uh, as uh, Lori will be talking about, you've been a part of uh, Matt and my life uh, for, you know, since I, t- I think 2005. So yep. it's been a great journey together and uh, you are the consummate uh, entrepreneur. So I'm looking forward to our time together today. So. Uh, for you listening in and viewing in on our Ignite podcast, our, our guest today is Lori Cazada. And uh, Lori is just um, an incredible lady that uh, has been, uh, I, I think you, um, you grew up an entrepreneur. <laughs> you pro- so I want to hear your story. I want to hear, you know, how did you get started and kind of where you're at today? And then we'll kind of de- uh, dive in deeper.
1: Well, I think with being an entrepreneur, uh, I am what's kind of called a serial entrepreneur. I've started eight businesses um, and have sold several of those over the years. And it's really all about really the challenge of the change. I really think when you're younger, I mean, I think a lot of people say, "Oh, I want to start a business." With me, it wasn't that way. It was more of a survival mechanism. Mm. I was uh, raised in extremely low income environment in the 70s. I'm 53. I was born in 1967 and um so like at the age of 12 I was raised by a single mother at the age of 12 I had three jobs in my own checking account so some of it kind of started through survival to be honest Mm -hmm. and then as I transitioned I eventually ended up moving when I was uh, 19 I ended up moving overseas and it ended up being one of the best things for me because uh I met a gentleman who became a mentor of mine, and he was actually the director of sales and marketing in Xerox during the 70s, 80s. So I was taught at 19, the Xerox sales model, which if you remember, those of us old enough to remember, that was like the epitome of sales, right? right? So he had actually branched off about that time and started his own training company in sales and customer service. And I happened to come across him in a small, pub basically in a small village there uh, near Oxford, England. And I ended up working for him over three years and he ended up giving me a portion of the business. I was only 19 and 20 years old. I was running 40 different trainers at that point. So that was my first flavor of entrepreneurism through him. And then um, due to kind of personal circumstances, I ended up moving back to Kansas City in 1990. And at that point was trying to figure out what I wanted to do And I believe if you always just kind of trust the process and trust the universe and where things are going, um, I just ended up always working for myself. I've never had a W-2 from anyone, you know, it really except myself. So it it started real more from a a survival, but then um, I just have really loved that journey of building, growing, seeing things change, watching people's lives change. Most of those businesses have been either in the IT. I was actually a Microsoft engineer in the early nineties. I think I was one of the first ones. And so a lot of them were IT based. And then I kind of transitioned into, back into the soft skills, which is what David had taught me and really um, have really been doing that a lot the last. When I, I know when you and I met was actually when I came to talk to the Maximum Impact Board. And uh, you and I, as you said, have just become good friends along this journey. And I think one thing we have in common is it's really not about what we do, it's about the lives we touch. And that's really where my journey at is right now.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I, in our introduction, I mentioned the fact you've been represented by Ignite as a speaker, but um, but a, a lot of things have occurred <laughs> since we launched Ignite just five years ago. And um, uh, so, so we've... Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's talk about leadership in general, because as you talked about, you know, um, in England at 19, getting started, you know, and uh, so, I mean, leadership, some of the principles are the same, but um, there's been a lot of change over the last 30 years. And, you know, what are some of those changes that you've seen? Because you're doing not only speaking now, uh, you're doing a lot of consulting work. And uh, so what um, are some of the major differences that you're seeing uh, in leadership today versus 30 years ago?
1: Um, Yeah, definitely. And I get that question quite a bit. And I really say I can really narrow it to one of a couple things. But you're right. If you look back to how it was when we started our careers, right, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, very different from the 90s and then going into the 21st century. And if I were to really break it down, well, going back to HR, I deal a lot with VP of HRs and I deal a lot with the C-suite levels, like, uh, you know, chief executives, uh, you know, CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, I call it C star dot star, right? (laughs) Anything at that chief level. Um, And really, if you look back, like to the 1970s, we only had like three HR laws on the books. That was it. We have over 300 today. The Department of Labor itself has 180 laws that we have to follow as leaders in organizations. That is a lot of laws to follow every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so what's happened, we've looked a lot more at like ethics in leadership, look at things like Enron. Um, We've looked at a lot of things, but really the difference is the worker more than the corporation and the millennials which have become kind of one of my core competencies is generational gaps that are occurring in the workplace. If you look back to the 20th century, we were founded on an autocratic leadership style. We became the global leader through the industrial revolution, right? Coal, steel, rail, all of those different industries. Well, what happened back then, everyone just wanted a workplace. They wanted somewhere to go, I clock in, I do my work, I clock out, I collect my paycheck, I can feed my family, I go to church on Sunday, I basically, I call it kind of the hamster wheel, right? We were just doing the same thing day in, day out. What's happening in the 21st century leaders is people no longer want a workplace, they want a work experience, And the companies who are figuring that out are retaining their employees much longer. And the millennials entering the workplace are the ones who are making that shift really happening out there right now. It's not about just going to work. I want to feel empowered. I want to know I have a purpose. I want to know, you know, what is my goal? It's not just about collecting the paycheck for most people anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. So uh, many of the... uh, People listening to or viewing this podcast are um, are in leadership positions, whether it's in the mortgage industry, financial industry, you name it. Um, how, and you mentioned the generational gap, how do we begin each workday? How do we begin a new year uh, with a, maybe a different mindset? I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, so how do we take what you've just said and really, you know, put the kind of the. Uh, the metal you know the you know some maybe the shoe leather to it you know make it how do we really make it work in because uh, you've got still in the workplace you've got um, you got the baby boomer yet mm-hmm. you've got all you as you say a generational gap not only in leadership but within the, the walls of the of the corporation so how do how do we all blend together how do we have unity how do we make this thing work
1: Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, so this is the first time in the history of the U.S. we have five generations in the workplace. First time ever. So if you really look, it starts with the traditionalists, right? That would be, for example, our parents and or grandparents, if they're still living. They are living longer and they are working longer, right? I mean, all you have to do is walk in your local Walmart, Right. What's the first thing you see is a traditionalist, you know, welcome to Walmart, they're supplementing their income because of that living longer and having to work longer. And some of it is they're just healthier too, right? So they're not, okay, I'm going to retire like my grandfather on the farm, you retire and you sit in your recliner, right? They're not doing that. They're traveling, they're playing golf, they're playing tennis, they're doing things of that nature. So they're still in the workplace. If you look, we did about seven years ago, we had 45% of our workforce was still baby boomers, right? The big baby boomer um, generation was was what was making up most of our executive teams. Now, COVID, what I would say today is very different from one year ago because COVID is escalating baby boomers exiting the workplace right now. So then what happens? I'm a Gen X. I'm 53. I'm on the cusp of really the baby boomers. The Gen X, we are actually ended up taking a little bit of the brunt of this because the younger generation is not ready for leadership. And that's a whole nother day podcast of why they are not ready for leadership. <laughs> um It's all about they are a generation of entitlement, Um, they change jobs, they have a lack of loyalty to family and work. There's a whole issue. Now, one thing I talk about when I talk to millennials is I say it really is not their fault. I love working with them because they take a bad rap in the press, right, right? They make millennial sound like a four-letter word almost, it seems like. Well, it's not their fault. They didn't create the problem. It's the baby boomers and the Gen Xs created it, right? So, for example, you know, parents would hand a, an eight-year-old a $1,000 iPhone with no comprehension how much I have to work minimum wage at McDonald's to pay my bills and save enough money for an iPhone. So what happened was the companies right now are taking the brunt of that younger workforce. They are demanding, they are getting out demanding $40,000, $45,000 a year beginning salaries, which is just unheard of for a, a you know, mid-20-year-old. And so what's happening as the, ba- as the, the baby boomers are ex- exiting you're having to pay more to the younger generation who are demanding some of this because of supply and demand. Now again, COVID's changing that for us a little bit, but that was becoming a huge problem with, with companies in the bottom line is paying more for this, the same job done and they weren't ready for it. They were gonna leave after three years to go to another, another job. So it's, it's really become something that Gen Xs were having to deal with. The baby boomers are on their way out. They're not dealing with it near as much. And then what a lot of people don't realize is there's actually after the millennials, um, in psychology, we call it the centennials and they're starting to enter the workplace that those were the children born around the turn of the century. And that's, again, a whole nother generation in the centennial.
0: Wow. It's, um, it's a wheel that just keeps turning. Right. And, uh, and it keeps going faster and faster and we're all trying to keep up. And, um, so my guest today on the Ignite podcast is uh, Lori Casada, and uh, Lori is um, is an incredible speaker, but uh, an incredible consultant to be able to come in and work with companies in the areas of uh, leadership, in the areas of uh, working with uh, even as we've been talking about this uh, uh, the the gap between the generational gap that's going on. There's just much and. And we're in the midst of it right now, right, Lori? We've got, um, here you and I are um, on, a, on a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, my wife is across the hall in her office. She's on a Zoom call. And that's happening in homes and, 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 and a few offices across the country. So there's been a, a dramatic change because of COVID in the last year. So that's impacted leadership. And how do we, how do we connect with those that we lead how do we how do we keep positive how do we generate positive positivity i mean you know i you know me i'm a you know i i love my team around me i love you know i love i love uh the team you know being together um you know and uh and when you can't do that and you have to generate it through a video call it so um uh, so how how can we be, and those listening, watching, become even more effective in their leadership in this new uh, virtual world that probably is going to be here for a, you know, for a long time?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. So um, let me explain a couple things that have happened through this kind of COVID world. So First of all, if you go back, you know, and really when I went to school back in the 80s, you know, most of my coursework was in marketing, but also in psychology. So I have a lot that I've done in psychology over the last um, 30 years. I'm actually doing some stuff, you know, um, right now, some academia stuff in psychology. Is that if you really look, we are the most social creatures on earth, right? Human beings are the most social creatures on earth. And what we did, I can still tell you, my last day was March 13th, 2020. It was Friday the 13th. I was teaching a uh, program that I do called Lifting Leaders. I was downtown St. Louis in the Missouri Athletic Club teaching. And I walked out that day and I thought, and it was the last day of St. Louis doing its, okay, you can't have you know, uh, you can't have gatherings over so many people. And I thought, okay. And I'm usually pretty intuitive. And I was like, oh, this will be six to eight weeks. You know, just let the medical field get ahead. Let the, I never would have dreamed that nine months, 10 months later, I still would be working from home or I do have an office about three blocks from here. So what happened was the change happened so quick. So there's what's called the Bridges transaction model. Um, I teach it a lot when I, when I do my lifting leaders program, but there's basically change. And as you know, I'm a published author on change. So that's one of my core things that I speak about and I teach is managing change within organizations. Is if you really look at, there is what is called change and transition, okay? There are 13 stages that people go through when a change happens. Now, a change can be one of three things. It's either self-initiated change, right? So for example, let's say I wanna change the color of my hair. Let's say that I want to move my house. That is what we call self-initiated change, right? You are more apt to get through the change model quickly because I'm initiating. Hmm. Then we basically have social change, which would be things like a hurricane hits. It's things I can't control. a um, a downturn in the economy. I lose my house because I lose my job because the economy went down. So I still have to move, but it's not self-initiated, right? Someone is forcing me to do the move. So that takes me a little bit longer. What happened with COVID is the change happens so quickly, changes like death, okay? So think of, you know, how you, you hear about the stages of death. You go through denial, you go through anger, you go through, and you're trying to get through to an acceptance phase, right, that I can move Mm -hmm. on. Well, if you look at change, that means there has to be a transition. One thing I tell leaders, I do a lot with organizational restructuring, and I tell them the sooner you announce the change, that it is further away from the transition, the easier it will go. Think of it like turning a ship, right? If I'm turning a ship and I yank the wheel, I'm going to capsize. Same thing with change. If you all of a sudden yank the wheel and change, you're going to capsize your organization. If you give a warning, this change is coming in 60 days, 90 days, six months, then you can turn the ship and not capsize it. Well, what happened with COVID, it capsized the ship. We basically, one day everyone's out and about, and the next day they're, okay, I have to homeschool. I have to figure out technology at home. I have to figure out this Zoom. I have to figure out Microsoft Teams. It was too much change too quick. And so what's happening now is organizations are having to deal with that, is that it was so quick for people that you couldn't keep in touch with them. Because what happens, I have a requirement that if you are on any call with me, you must be on video or I reserve the right to disconnect. And when I do my teaching, I do this lifting leaders, I'm still doing some virtual. And it is a, a one pager that goes out and people are like, well, I said, because we basically have three channels of communication. So we, as I, going back to what I originally said, we are the most social creatures on earth. So we communicate via words, via tone, how we say it, right? My grandmother on the farm, right? Not what you say, it's... How you say it. How you say it. And then the third is really our nonverbals, right? And so what happened when we all of a sudden got in COVID and people didn't have webcams or people didn't have, you know, um, high speed at home, we basically took out over 50% of our communication is that nonverbal. And so we ended up with this whole communication issue over the last year. And it's taken us about nine months to figure that out. People are getting better at it. And so that's probably been the biggest change that I tell people. Make sure, even though being in a room is better, you see each other, you touch, you feel. I'm a hugger, as you know, Dennis. Mm -hmm. If I was in the room, I'd be giving you a big old hug. So I'm a hugger. And I said, when I can get back to hugging, I know we're through it. (laughs) So well, but uh, you know, the best thing is keep. I call it the, te- the 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 touch points. Yeah. Make sure you're touching with your people several times a week, and yeah. not just a phone call. Actually, see them, see what's going yeah. on.
0: Yeah, and then um, and then, how do you stay? Well, the types of com- What are the types of companies you're working with right now? What what you know? What do they kind of look like? And when we think about our viewers and listeners to this podcast, you know they might be able to relate with the types of companies you're working with and and kind of what you're covering. So without naming names or anything, but what are the types of companies you are working with and have over the last few months?
1: Okay, great question. Um, I have several vertical markets. I mean, I've worked in a lot of different vertical markets, but it seems like where kind of my journey or path has taken me, Um, I do a lot in construction I do um, work in the trucking business. I do do work in financial services. I have some financial services companies I've worked with since about 2005. Um, I also do a lot in manufacturing. I have a real compassion for the blue collar worker because it's similar to what I said with the millennials is that we are telling millennials, you have to go to college and get a four-year degree or you're worthless. And it is one of my biggest pet peeves in the 21st century. What happened to our trades? What happened to apprenticeships? You know, we need people who can do roofs and weld. And, you know, look at, I I deal with a a trucking company for about the last five years. I mean, look, those are the people who got us through COVID, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the medical field, or I also do stuff in healthcare. I have an organization, I help their board um, who are pretty big in in the Medicare Advantage world. And so I do work with them also. So I have several different vertical markets that I do, but my whole criteria is, do you want to make an impact? Mm. Do you want to touch lives? As you know, Dennis, one of my, and it's in one of my books is I talk about, um, you leave a fingerprint behind. Yeah. And that's what I tell people. I want to work with people who want to make a difference. And that's why like this six month program I do with leadership teams. It's all, I've just seen some phenomenal things come out of it both in life and business, because it's all about work-life balance, leading your team, leading your life, making a difference, creating your legacy. You know, no one lays on their deathbed saying, I wish I would have answered more emails. I wish I would have done more Zoom calls, right. right? You think, you know, and that's what I teach people is live your life every day as if tomorrow's the last. So you'll never have the wish I could have, should have, would have moments.
0: Yeah. yeah. So is the best place... Uh... To go to is uh, to your website, lauracazada.com. Is that the best place to go um, to yeah, learn that's the, about some of these things? Uh,
1: yeah, that's probably the best place. I will tell you, I shut down my social media June of last year. Um, people are like, why did you shut down? I said, you know what? I called it the triple threat of COVID. It was such a toxic environment. Mm. We dealt with COVID. Then we dealt with the Black Lives Matter you know, issue and all the riots. And then we were dealing with the political climate. And you put those three together, and I realized what an impact it was having on my own psyche, and I shut all my multimedia down last June. I will reopen it at some point. Of course, if anyone wants to talk to me about, I mean, you represent me as far as speaking or the leadership program, you know, they can definitely reach out to you. But
0: um, I'm just as
1: busy as can be. It's funny (laughs) the people I talk to. I've had other people reach out to me. Hey, do you have some work you can subcontract to me? I'm just working day and night. I just, uh, I mean.
0: Well, that's not good. You got to have some margin for your own life, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when I, I have a, a a president of a company, a manufacturing firm. I was at pretty large business, and he told me, he "Goes, you need to start practice what you preach." <laughs> I said, "I know, don't I?"
0: <laughs> you know what? That's one of the uh, requirements when when Matt and I look at a speaker, and and you were right there. Was you know, does he or she practice what they preach? You know, mm-hmm. and you do. And uh, but it's easy to I mean, when the when the demand is high and the needs are so great and you want to help everybody, it's hard to say no. And mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. I, I understand that. Um, mm-hmm. Let me ask you, were talking about, you know, being a hugger and all of that. And um, uh, talk to me a little bit about emotional intelligence in the workplace. What does that mean? It's and, you know, you're hearing it more. It's kind of a hot topic. But what in the world is emo- emotional intelligence in, in the workplace?
1: Yeah, it's a hot topic, and I really kind of have fallen into it a lot the last six years. Because of my business background connected with kind of some of my psychology background, is that basically emotional intelligence is, there's basically five levels to it, right? And it, it starts at self, self-awareness, self-control, and then it goes all the way to mastering vision, Now, less than 10% of the population would ever hit mastering vision. You're talking about the Buddhist monk, right? Someone that really understands going within and understanding the higher power. We would see that in, you know, preachers that have done a lot of their spiritual work, things of that nature. So really, the reason EQ, it goes back to the difference of the 20th and 21st century. Millennials are changing this. I tell people no longer can we treat people like positions, we have to treat them like people, right? So when I walk into a building, I need to treat the receptionist who greets me with the exact same respect that I would the CEO. Very different than 30 or 40 years ago, right? And that's where EQ. So it, it really, you'll see it as EI or EQ. Um, I always say the difference of a good and a great leader is the difference of 18 inches from head to heart. It's saying, yes, I can run a business and I know all the bottom line and how to do this. But the EQ says, do I understand the people? Do I understand what they need from me? Do I understand what they need from the organization? And the more we understand that, um, I call it a, a teeter-totter. I actually have a teeter-totter that I do with people that's about behaviors and emotions. So for example, if an emotion, if you have an emotion that, let's say you're dealing with someone who has an, ang- and I'm sure you've seen this in years of being a CEO, someone who has anger in the workplace, mm-hmm. right? So let's just take that emotion because I think it's some, something people can, can relate to. So what happens in order for that person to deal with anger in the workplace, is it okay that someone is angry? Yes, it's an emotion. Everybody has had anger at some point in your life. And so what happens, it's not the anger that becomes the problem. It's the behavior behind the anger that becomes the problem. So... As, as the anger is escalating, it's the behaviors behind it. One thing I tell leaders uh, when I do EQ is I say, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever, never, ever attack attitude, attack behavior. Mm. Because, I mean, you could do this with your wife, right? If she's upset and you say to her, honey, you really shouldn't be upset, what's going to happen? <laughs>
0: Oh, we just started.
1: (laughs) You're going to go in that office and slowly close your door because you're going to start hearing her in the kitchen banging pots and pans and doing whatever. That is the normal reaction because, Dennis, you could not tell me how I feel. I have a right to feel that way. But what you can do is say, honey, could you lower your voice and let's talk about this? Honey, could you please not slam the door? Same thing in the workplace is we attack the behavior. I always say, I love it when you're like walking through like a cubicle area and let's say someone just came out of a meeting and body language I read, I've been trained in neuro-linguistic programming and and how to read people. And you could tell they're upset they go in their cube and they're sitting there going, right? They just want you to hear their keyboard a mile away, right? So it's that sort of behavior that we have to, to tailor and what's happening right now, fear is big in the workplace, which right. is an emotion.
0: Right. And with
1: fear comes things like depression. So just like anger is on one end of the spectrum, we're now dealing with depression on the other end of the spectrum. Same thing as my my mother had a depression issue my whole life. And so I saw that back then they called it manic depressant, being in the room with the lights off for days on end. And so what would happen as the depression got worse, the behaviors go down, right? Being withdrawal, so it's not the anger type, not the, you know, um, extroverted type, but it's more the introverted types of crying, laying in bed, um, drinking, we're having substance use problems, things of that nature. So what you have to do with EQ in the workplace, and this is a big issue right now, is get that back in line with your teens. Do what I call a temperature check, check in with your people. How are you doing? You know, tell me the top three things you're feeling, things of that nature.
0: So, um, back to a, a couple, few minutes ago, we were talking about, you know, this virtual world we're living in right now. And, uh, and a lot of what you're talking about on this um, uh, EQ has to do, I think, with, you know, so the fact is, is that um, it's so easy in this world, this virtual world, to wear a mask, you you know, and, um, and, uh, and the fact is, you know, I could be sitting here, I might have, you know, a dress shirt on, but I might have my, I might've just got back from the gym and still have my gym shorts on and my tennis shoes on. Right. And uh, so, so that's not the, you're not, you're not seeing the real Dennis. You're just seeing what I want you to see. Mm -hmm. Um, So how there again, as a leader, you know, how do we read these things and how do we then really understand because we're not we're not hearing that the keyboard you know unless it's a are really you know, <laughs> you know but um so um because i think this is important because we're going to come out of this and we're going to come back together as teams and uh, and, um, and you know, and, and how do we pick up from where we left off and, um, and some of those relationships that do need healing and whatnot. So I'm just curious on what your thoughts are there. Yeah. So
1: I've done a couple things, and again, it was even a transition for me, and I come from a technology background, and it's it's kind of interesting, because I've had a Zoom account for eight years because of the IT world. I still have some IT clients, and it's been big in the IT. So when everyone got on Zoom after COVID, mm-hmm. it slowed down, and they, it was crashing. We're like, everyone get off our platform. you know? Now it's ended up being a, an advantage because of all the features they've added. But those of us who've had it for years, it's like, right. for other people, it was like this new technology, and it's really not. So when I even started, like, um, when I, I think I mentioned that on March 13th, I, I walked out of a day of my leadership. Well, I was only through three of my six-month program with that group of, of executives. So I ended up having to do the next couple via Zoom. And, and I'm talking full-day classes. And people are like, I mean, I can keep someone engaged. I have kept doctors on a call for eight hours, believe it or not, very engaged. But what happens is we sit here like this, right? I'm going to get my little background set up. I'm going to get my lighting, whatever. It's so funny. You mentioned about you could be sitting there in your gym shorts or boxer shorts, and I wouldn't even know (laughs) is. So, for example, um, I had a set of doctors that I was actually had also was doing a parallel course with. And the first virtual I was doing with them, I said, "Okay, I want everyone to scoot your chair back. And I made them all scoot back and I made them show me their feet. (laughs) I said, I wanna see what everyone has on their feet. And like I had house slippers, two of them had um, were barefoot, one of them had socks, one of them who was the CFO, he actually had dressed up as if he had you know his work shoes. And so you have to really just engage people in different ways mm-hmm. with my own team that I've had to do this cause I have my own team that work on projects for me is we now have a thing I do called dance it out. If I feel like the stress is getting high, I'll do dance it out. I put Amazon music on. I'll put a dance song on and everyone gets up and we dance it out for three minutes. And then we sit back down. Good.
0: That's good. Um,
1: I have a project manager who can get very stressed when we've been going through a bunch of go live projects this year for pe- for leaders. Um, we've gotten to where things get stressed. We basically, I set my timer for two minutes and her and I run up and down the stairs of our house. And then we come back. So you just have to find, um, I've told people, have it where people can't sit, make them stand up for a meeting, you know, where they're not just sitting there and doing nothing. Um, I've just done all sorts of things with people, you know. The big thing is to engage them, right? I do what I call round robins. When I teach, I would use cush balls around the classroom and, you know, they would pick on each other and do this. And um, I would do building block exercises. And as you know, I do a lot of creative leadership things. And so I've had to be creative even in here, like do round the robin on the, on the Zoom calls and stuff. Um, do breakout rooms. There's all sorts of stuff you can ah, do.
0: Good, good suggestions. I love it. Um, so I would, uh, again, uh, viewers, listeners to the Ignite podcast, you can certainly learn more about Lori by going to igniteadvisorygroup.com and um, you'll learn things about her as a speaker. Um, we're learning things about her today as a consultant. Um, but if you just reach out to Matt or myself um, and our team, uh, we'll we'll get you we'll get you uh, together with uh, Lori, And you just can't you can't find anybody better to work with. Lori, what's um, um, what are you reading right now? What right, what would be uh, if you said, Dennis? Boy, here is a book that. I read this past year say what's, you know, what would you say? Hey, here's a book you need to read.
1: Oh, Is there anything that
0: comes to mind? Uh,
1: I'll be honest. I haven't been reading a lot this past year working, but I'm trying to, I've been reading a lot more psychology books right now. Cause oh, I'm doing stuff in that world. <laughs> <Huh>?
0: <laughs> don't give me any of those.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> you probably don't want my psych up. books that I've been reading. <laughs> so.
0: Well, you know, one thing that, um, probably both you and I, and, um, so I, you know, the reading part I've tried, That's in fact, I set a goal out for myself this year because I didn't do as well last year as at least, uh, you know, at least one book a month. Um, I've already had two in this first month, but that's that's great. But I've found myself listening and and this is kind of where we're at, right? I'm listening to a lot more blogs or podcasts. I'm, I'm reading a lot more blogs. So, you know, the matter of picking up a, a a big book you know and reading it you know it's been more snippets uh -hmm. things that i that i need uh, information on right now or that i feel like will help me better right now so um you know those things uh my 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 favorite podcast is how i built it um and that's a npr uh, podcast that is just incredible just uh, entrepreneurs that have uh have built uh, companies and uh, and it gives their whole story their whole background it's just it's a podcast I love listening to but um, so what's on you know what's next on your journey Um, you've um, we've kind of said here's where you're at here's where you've been here's where you're at any uh, anything where you're headed on your journey in the next uh, year or two or where do you where do you see yourself going
1: you know, it is funny because you did ask about a book, and I haven't been doing much business books. But between Christmas and New Year's, I did reread *The Alchemist*, which was one of my favorite books years back. You know about it's the parable about uh, it's the parable about Santiago who goes on a journey and how life brings him back, and where he thought he was going wasn't where he ended up, but he got everything he wanted. Um, which I just, you know, love The Alchemist. I read it every probably four or five years. And that one I just reread, like, because I feel like my life is changing. Um, I am based in St. Louis. I moved here in 1991. I was only going to be here five years. I moved here to start a business. Um, I was going to sell it after five years, which I did do. Um, but um, I, fortunate or unfortunate, I met my husband at that point. We're, we're now divorced. So it kept me in St. Louis and so, really, you know, I'll probably be moving at some point. I feel like some of the projects I'm doing are moving me to probably one of the coasts. Um, I,
0: I can almost see you in like Tuscany or somewhere like that.
1: <laughs> you know, I think I told you I spent, <laughs> did I tell you about? <laughs> you just want to yes, come use did. my villa. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can
1: come use my villa anytime. Uh. So, <laughs> yeah, um, ironically, I was in Europe a year and a half ago. I still go back to Europe. Um, I've started doing a few clients back in Europe but I almost I, I can't remember if I told you this or not but I almost bought an Italian villa a year ago uh, August and uh, some circumstances I had a, a death in in a very close oh. friend of mine and so I ended up having to come back early from that trip but I almost bought I was literally in Florence when I got the call and had to make the trip home oh. but so uh, that, that definitely, um, I also, one thing I just I tell you, this program that I have done, I, I could just spend an hour telling you the impact I've seen this had in people. Um, it's a six month program. I do love speaking as you know, but what I love about the programs I do is I see the lives I touch. Right. I build a relationship. I see the torch being passed on. I see how they impact other people. I see the domino effect. And so what I'm looking at, and matter of fact, I was supposed to go to Costa Rica July of last year. I'm looking at opening a destination leadership um, place, and Costa Rica is a place that I have been looking at
0: that is actually where
1: high thought leaders go. You go off the grid. You do work-life balance. You do the whole, you know, where am I going? What legacy do I want to leave? And so that is really in my kind of business model right now. But COVID, like everything else, has slowed that down a little bit.
0: Mm, yeah, so, yeah. Um, I th- there was one thought that I had was that, um, um, you know, both you as a as a as a speaker, but more importantly as a uh, as a consultant or somebody that really pours into. Because I remember. Both Matt and I, as you know, worked with John Maxwell for a number of years, and uh, and John used to say, and Zig Ziglar used to say, you know, you know, with an event, all you can do is bring awareness of a need. You know, you can wake up somebody's desire to be a better leader or something, but in forty-five minutes or ninety minutes, you can't, you know, you can't do it. You've 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 awakened in them a desire. What you do now. Uh, Both through your speaking, but now through what you're doing in your consulting, is you're you're going deep and you're allowing those participating to really grow as uh, leaders. But again, as you and I have often said, you know, um, uh, not just themselves, but becoming leaders that impact others. And um, you know, if we just keep our leadership skills to ourselves and don't share it first off with our family. Mm-hmm. And then with those that we do, you know, work and do life with, then, you know, you know, we go to the grave, you know, pretty much an empty, empty person because we haven't, you know, we've held everything in, but we haven't been a river that has fl- allowed, uh, everything we've learned to flow out to others. And uh, you do such a great job at that. You are a, you are a river of, uh, of uh, life, of energy, of information, and, um, and I would just encourage, um, you know, each one of uh, you that's um, listening or viewing this podcast to uh, to go to uh, Laurie's website, uh, Laurie'sCalzada.com. It's C-A-L-Z-A-D-A, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Lori Calzada. And it's Laurie,
1: L-A-U-R-I-E.
0: Yep. And so, say that again.
1: It's yeah. Laurie, L-A-U. People say it Laurie, but it's really Laurie, L-A-U-R-I-E.
0: So. Okay, and uh, C-A-L calzad You got it. And if you'll go there or go to the Ignite website, uh, we'll, get, we'll get you together with uh, Lori. And um, it's, um, you are amazing. It's been such a blessing for me to stay connected with you over these last, you know, since 2005. And uh, thank you for the impact you've had, not only in my life, but uh, maximum impact during that time. And, uh, and then uh, with, uh, with us here at uh, Ignite Advisory Group. So um, one last thought is, you know, you said as we began, um, you really started this journey um, as a 12-year-old because of situations in your home. You were kind of forced into this becoming a serial entrepreneur. Um, and you've done well at it. Um, Has that been luck or what's, what's allowed you to become and be where you are today versus other serial entrepreneurs that are still in the cereal box looking for the toy, you know, whatever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, being a, being an entrepreneur means you fail as much as you succeed. And so when I have an entrepreneur that I talk to that says, oh, I've, every business I've tu- I, I touched has flourished, I always looked at them with skepticism, right? Look at Walt Disney, clean bankruptcy seven times before he created Mickey Mouse. Um, I can just tell you, entrepreneur after entrepreneur, that our greatest lessons comes from our failures, not mm-hmm. always our successes, I actually was approached in St. Louis in 2010, I did a TV show, I don't, I don't remember if you knew this, but I did a TV show based on entrepreneurship, it was right after the housing crash, and so each episode was geared toward like technology in the workplace, Um, SBA, I had the director of SBA on about, you know, how do you get funding if you're trying to survive post-crash, and I had done some of that and, and it was just interesting because it didn't resonate with me, even though everyone says I have a face for TV, <laughs> is that it, I, di- I, I didn't see the impact I was making, right, with entrepreneurs and different things. So now dealing with entrepreneurs, I prefer to hear the stories and help them as far as your originating questions of, of advice. You know, it kind of goes back. One of my favorite quotes is Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, just keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, he said that, you know, when the when the Nazis were trying to take over World War II and everything. And that's my greatest advice is that, you know, during COVID, entrepreneurs are either flourishing or they're struggling. And so you you just, you know, and just remember you're not all every day isn't going to be a good day. You're going to have your down days. But what amazes me too is remember as an entrepreneur you're only as good as your team mm. and i wish i knew in my 20s what i knew now i'm a very different leader than i was in my 20s i was much more assertive aggressive i'm the boss autocratic and all the situational leadership i've learned over the last 30 years. That would be my greatest advice to them is re- remember, especially in the virtual and COVID world, your team is your greatest asset. They're mm-hmm. going to make you or break you right now In the t- in, you know, as we enter into 2021.
0: Love that. Your team is your greatest asset. Love mm-hmm. it. Love it. Loree. And
1: unfortunately, that doesn't go on the bottom line, right? Don't no. you wish that actually had a value on the balance sheet? Right.
0: But it does, ultimately. Mm-hmm. We know mm-hmm. that. So, hey, mm-hmm. thank you so much for setting up side some time just to visit and uh, allow us to make our viewers and listeners aware of what you can do uh, for them and in the long term by doing it for them help them you know help them reach their bottom line by helping other people grow so it's been it's thank you so much again
1: Oh, I always love, mm, I love you, Dennis. You know that. So you're one of my favorite peeps. So thank
0: you. And thank you to our viewers and listeners for joining us again on our Ignite podcast. Have a great day.